This is Michelle. And I am Maddie. And this is Unsolved South, where we talk about mysteries, strange disappearances, and unsolved cases from the southern USA. Welcome back to Unsolved South. How was your weekend? It was... week? It was really good. It was. I hope everybody out there had a terrific week. I guess... We got nothing else to say. We might as well get on into the story this week. Yeah. Um, this story we have actually reported twice before now. Yep. This is our third time so recording this story. Third time's the charm. Um, the first time, what happened to it? The first time we kind of stumbled through it and we didn't like how we recorded it. So we it just the didn't like the way it sounded the first time. The second time, early on in the recording, it sounded to me we were, were, were recording separately in separate houses, and it sounded to me like Matlin was speaking at the same time I was, and I, I mentioned it. I was like, what did you say? And she said she wasn't saying anything, <laughs> so everything sounded fine to her, and other than that, it sounded fine to me. But when she started editing, it sounded like somebody was talking through my entire sound. Yeah, it was like your ghost was like going crazy trying to be a part of this podcast. I was like, man, he ruined it. He really did. (laughs) So just in case it was my ghost at the end, we'll probably give him a minute to say anything he needs to say. So I'm going to ask that if he's listening and if he's got something to say, just keep it to the end and we'll let you answer at the end. (laughs) For sure, for sure. Or whatever you need to say at the end and then hopefully we won't have issues with this episode. Yeah, uh, this is the last time we're recording this one. So if it don't make it this time, then... Then this is a story that doesn't get told. Yes, but it is a story worth telling for a third time. So let's go ahead and tell it. We sure will. Okay, so this is a story about three missing, I'm going to say women, even though it's actually two women and a child, a two-year-old, but I'll I'll probably refer to them as the missing women um, just for the sake of making it easier. So we're talking about um, Linda McCord, who was 31, and Sarah Boyd, who was 32. Um, both of these are black females, average height and weight. Both of them wear glasses. Um, both of them have really beautiful smiles, just happy, nice-looking women. And Sarah's daughter, who was two-year-old, Kimberly Boyd. Um, she is, when you see the picture of her, she is the cutest little girl. I mean, just the cutest little face. So, on the evening of April 3rd, 1987, the three of them went missing somewhere between Walterboro, South Carolina and Harleyville, South Carolina. And so that's the story we're going to tell today. On the afternoon of April 3rd, 1987, Linda McCord drove her Lincoln to pick up Sarah Boyd and Sarah's daughter, Kimberly. They were going to Walterboro, South Carolina for a, a gospel concert. And um, they were 
pretty excited about it. It was just the three of them going. It was about 45 minutes from their house. So, you know, it was a bit of a road trip back then. And they went and saw the concert. Everything went well. And they left. From that point, we don't really know exactly what happened. What we do know is that Sarah Boyd's husband, Philip, woke up about, or he came home from work about midnight and they were not home. And he didn't really think anything about it. He knew they were going to the concert. He thought, you know, maybe they stopped to visit relatives. Maybe the concert just took longer than anticipated. He really didn't think anything about it. So he just went on to sleep. But when he woke up about six o'clock the next morning, he realized they still weren't home and he got concerned, so he contacted the police. Now, at some point, Linda McCord's husband also contacted the police. Now, real quick, did they contact each other? Like, did the two husbands contact each other and say, Hey, um, my wife is at home. Is she with you? Did they spend the night with at your house? Um... I would assume that they did, but I, I didn't see that anywhere that they yeah. had any contact, but I would assume they did. It it would be the first thing I would do is, is contact the friend's spouse and um, be like, hey, have you heard from them? You know, did they have car trouble? They wound up staying in a hotel or something because it got late. You know, do you know what's up? Right, because so. that would be weird if they just called the police straight away. That's why I was asking because... Right. That would change my theories at the end a little bit. <laughs> um, it, I never saw anything that said that they did or did not speak. My assumption would be that they did because um, the women ran in the same circles. So, you right. know, church and all of that. So, I would assume the men were at very least acquainted with each other and would have made the phone call to just say, hey, you know, do you know what's going on? So. My assumption is yes, um, but I don't honestly know. In any case, um, the police start looking and and they don't find them. It, they don't find anything at first, but um, on April fifth, which is two days after they went missing, they did find the car. And Mr. McCord, Linda's husband, was actually with the police searching when they found the car. The car was 10 miles past the turnoff they would have taken to go home. So it was at the intersection of Highway 15 and Highway 176 near Holly Hill, South Carolina. And there is pretty much nothing there. So um, for a little clarity let me just say where they lived and where all the counties are because we're about to start going into what county said what and so it'll be important so the ladies lived in harleyville south carolina and that's in dorchester county the gospel sing the gospel concert it took place in walterboro south carolina which is in colton county and the car was found in Holly Hill, which is Orangeburg County. It, it was on the Orangeburg-Dorchester County line, um, but it was actually in Orangeburg County. There was about 47 miles between the show 
and where the car was found. And Holly Hill is only about 15 miles past where the car was found. So they were very close to home and they had gone almost the full distance from the gospel concert to where the car, I mean, to their house. So the car was found 15 minutes away from where they lived, but 45 miles, 47 miles away from where they started out at the gospel concert. So you're following me? I'm following. Okay. Orangeburg police are the ones that would be in charge of the car because that's where the car was found in Orangeburg. The police don't have time to deal with the car right now. So they have it moved to a yard close by where they found it. Yeah, and clarify what you mean by a yard, please. Someone's actual house, the yard outside of their home. They moved it to the front yard of somebody's house. Like, if I don't even know if they weren't thinking that this was, like, there could have been any foul play in this. But, like, if there was, the, all the evidence would be gone. They would have, the people would have ample time to clean the car, you know? So, we're, yeah, we're not talking about a tow yard, and and you make good points. Um, although it was two days later, after they went missing, that they found the car. So, so if somebody wanted to clean the car or whatever, they actually probably would have had time to do it by now. But um, the investigator for Orangeburg is, he's being sent to Georgia to do some work i don't mm. i'm not sure what but they said they sent him on assignment to georgia right and he just didn't have time to deal with the car right then <laughs> so and this car is not being guarded it's not locked it's not nothing well it could have been locked i don't that i don't know but um they moved it into the driveway of someone's home that was very close to the intersection of um holly of, of 15 and 176 in Holly Hill. And if you look up um, this area, if you look up a picture of what it looks now, um, there is a house there. It's an older house. Um, so it's most likely there at the time of this disappearance. Um, and then on all the other sides, it's just trees. Just trees. There's nothing else. There's this old house. And just trees. It's the middle of nowhere. Yeah, there, there's absolutely nothing there. So, um, when they finally do, a couple days later, have time to look at the car, they realize that the freezer plug is blown, and so the car would have been overheating, and that's probably why the women stopped where they did. By this time, witnesses are starting to come forward, and they are saying, you know, we saw this car about 10 o'clock the night that the women went missing. So, the car's been sitting in that spot since at least 10 o'clock that night. And a few other witnesses come forward and say that they saw that car driving, and it was going very slow, and there was a car following closely behind it. But nobody could describe the car behind it or who was in it. So, this is one of those things where 
you know, you're just not sure, was it even the same car? You assume it was because it does make sense that they would be driving slowly if the car was overheating. They were having car problems. Probably the thing you're going to do is, you know, drive real slow off the edge of the road so people can get around you. Um, the car behind them, I, I don't know why nobody could even give a description of the car or what, because it was more than one person that saw it. Right. So, I don't know why exactly. And it was dark, so I can see that you can't say what the person inside looks like. Yeah. But to not even be able to describe the car seemed odd to me. Yeah, but, they weren't even able to say it was a car versus an SUV, right? Um, They just said car, so I'm assuming not. But they really gave no description in um, none of the newspaper articles or anything that I saw did it give a description of this car and if if this was a car following their car it seems like you would have put out a description because somebody may know something even if they weren't the ones that did anything to these ladies if somebody says you know hey if you were driving a, a red truck out on this route and got behind this car you know, somebody may know something. Yeah. Whoever's in the red truck may say, hey, that was me. And, you know, no, I just was following them till I could pass. Or or I yeah. stopped to help them and they decided to, you know. Exactly. So, um, it, I thought it was odd that they wouldn't put out a description if they had any. But right. everything I read said that the witnesses could simply not give a description. Hmm. But police did suspect foul play pretty much from the beginning. It was just odd that, that they had just disappeared without a trace and they have this baby with them. Like I said, they're really well-loved women. The community loved them. They were church-going. They were both married. They were responsible. Nobody had anything bad to say about either one of them. So the chances of them just picking up and and running away from home, right? It it just didn't make sense. And then to do it with a two year old, it really just did not make any sense. So the police from the beginning were like, it doesn't look like these women would just have run off. And why not take the car if you were running off? Yeah. Um. Well, it was actually having issues, but. You know, you pick the time when your car is having a problem to just say, hey, now's the time. Let's run away from home. Yeah, it doesn't you know, that, make any sense. It doesn't make sense. So, um, they start placing ads in newspapers. And they place ads all over South Carolina. And the ads mostly feature Kimberly. It's got her little picture on there. And it does mention the other two, but it, it heavily features her, I guess, to tug at your heartstrings and make you pay attention. Yeah, because you're more willing to pay attention to a missing kid than you are to a missing adult. Sadly, but it's true. Yes. And they're offering a $6,000 reward, you know, which was a lot of money back then. Yeah. And they're just plastering these missing person posters all over the newspapers. And, and they're not really getting any tips at first. They're not getting any anybody to say anything 
but they're holding searches and and they're going out they've got feet on the ground they're you know looking in orangeburg county they're looking in dorchester county everybody's looking but they are not finding anything they are not finding any clues they're not nothing Dorchester County was actually lead on the case because that's where the women lived. That's where they were headed back to. For some reason, they came to the conclusion that if they were missing, it was in that county. And, and I'm not sure how they came to that conclusion, but that was what they decided. So Dorchester County took the lead. Orangeburg County did a search around where the car was found. They searched for an acre or two around where the car was found. And then after that, they said, you know, well, we haven't been officially asked to join the case. So unless new evidence comes up, we're pretty much out of it. This is Dorchester County's issue. And, um, you know, they'll call us if they need us is basically the way they handled that. So... Dorchester County, they're holding all the searches. They've got planes in the air, feet on the ground. Um, during one of the searches, they had their planes in the air and their pilot spotted a marijuana farm. Hmm. And this was a big, really well-established marijuana farm. And this farm had, had wells, it had sprinkler systems, irrigation systems, it had um, heaters, the plants were like 15 foot tall. I mean, mm. this was a legit money-making pot farm. Yeah. Okay. So, in fact, the amount of pot that they harvested off of this one farm equaled more than the entire amount of pot they had confiscated in the entire year before in that county. Oh my goodness. <laughs> this is huge. This is like a major deal. They have to call off the search. They have to put all their resources to harvesting and burning the pot. <laughs> None of the cops wanted to be the one that missed the pot fire. Right. <laughs> So they are, um, they have to take a few days off. Of course, yeah. And burn all this pot and then probably eat and sleep. Yeah, and, then, and probably have <laughs> their drug tests in a month. <laughs> and so after that, um, they did pick the search back up. So in the meantime, the family is also holding searches. And Linda's uncle is the editor for a, a newspaper at the time in South Carolina. And he is pretty outspoken about what he thinks the police should be doing and what they're not doing. Also, he's outspoken, outspoken about who is coming out to search and who is not. And he mentions in articles that Sarah's husband has come out to search. That's um, Kimberly's father. They, he has come out to search, but Linda McCord's husband has not. And he mentions it, but obviously he thought it was important enough to mention. Yeah. And he said, you know, Linda's got cousins, aunts, uncles, all her family's out here searching, but not her husband. 
Now, but do remember, her husband was actually searching with the police when they found the car. Yeah. So, he had attended at least some searches. So, I don't know if that was particularly fair, but it was interesting that he, he chose to throw that shade on the husband. Right. Um. So, it felt like he felt at least that something else, you know, may be happening here. He also was very upset because he felt like they were going to be found in a body of water. He gave no reason for why he felt that way. I guess it was just an intuition or a feeling he had. I bet he contacted a psychic. Cause... Which is possible because in a lot of stories we've seen... Psychics say that, yeah. oh, it's near a body of water. It's near know? a body of water. So, um... I don't know exactly why he felt that way, but he was super outspoken about it. He continued to talk about it, and he felt like the police were not sufficiently searching these areas. So, alternatively, the police gave an interview in which they said, we cannot search a particular area just because someone has a feeling. They were hearing what he was saying, but... You know, you can't really just walk up on somebody's property in the south and go, Hey, y'all mind if I look in your well? Yeah, they mind. (laughs) A lot of people do mind. A lot of rural southerners don't want you poking around on their property for whatever reason. Yeah. And and it may not even be a terrific reason. And, And some of them might have said, Hey, yeah, sure. But... You know, do you have the resources? Do you have the manpower to just be searching all the wells in this area or all the creeks or rivers or whatever? So, I kind of understand the police's position on this, that you kind of need something more to go on than, oh, they're in the water. You know, there's a lot of water. Yeah. There's, There's creeks everywhere. There's ponds and retaining ponds and cow ponds everywhere swamps exactly so and whales everybody in that area would have had a whale oh for sure so you know and then all the abandoned properties it's just a lot of ground to cover with nothing no real evidence to point you in a direction right okay so the police do finally get a tip that comes in on the hotline and it says that the three were murdered and that they were buried near the racetrack. So there is a racetrack in Dorchester County Mm -hmm. and they go and they search and they have 76 volunteers and searchers and everybody they could muster, they get out there. They search 50 acres around this racetrack. They turn over every rock, every everything, and they do not find a trace. But they do believe that this is a valid lead. They do believe this is their only valid lead up until this point. And so all they can really do is wait and hope that whoever called will call back and give them a more pinpoint location on where to start searching so that they can go back out and they're ready to go back out and search as soon as they get a lead that just kind of 
narrows down the location. Right. That phone call does not ever come in. They don't have any leads. They don't have anywhere to go. They have searched the areas around the car. They've searched the areas around where in Dorchester County where they felt like they may have been on the other side of the county line if they, you know, were walking towards the house. They've searched everywhere. And they are not finding a trace. Not no. not anything at all. Not even the smallest little thing. And they just have nowhere else to go with this. Although Linda's uncle threatened to call in the FBI. I never found where the FBI took over the case. I never found any mention that he actually did contact the FBI or that they were even involved. It's possible, but I don't know what they would have done with no evidence. And, and the police were searching. They honestly were out searching. They were offering rewards. They were... They were doing what they could do with no evidence. Right. Okay, so that is pretty much where it ends. So, in December of 1988, just a year after, a little more than a year, after the three went missing, there was a child's body found in South Georgia. Now... A truck driver had pulled down the dirt road. He had to use the bathroom, and he pulled off. And it's not uncommon for going down dirt roads and people throw out trash, big trash, couches and mattresses right. and stuff. It's not uncommon to see that. You know, he didn't really think nothing of it. And I don't know what's happening. My computer's going crazy for no reason. Nobody is touching it, and it is just going nuts. And my page is already shut one time, so it distracted me. I apologize. In any case, this truck driver drives down. He's got to go to the bathroom. He pulls down by a pile of junk that's off the side of the road. And he sees a TV. It's one of those old-fashioned console TVs, the kind that would sit on your floor and you'd use it like a countertop and put your knickknacks and stuff on it. Right. And um, it has wood on it. Mm-hmm. And so it, it catches his eye because he's like, you know, what's going on here? So he pulls the wood and basically what happens is he discovers a child's body. And this baby matches the description of Kimberly. This baby was wrapped in a brown blanket, put inside a gym bag, put inside a suitcase, filled with concrete, put inside the TV, and then boarded up. That is awful. Can you imagine no, and uh, I saw an interview with a member of his family in the later years that said that he was he was so devastated by making this discovery that it haunted him for years, and he was never the same after that. Right. Um, in any case, this is, like I said, in South Georgia, so Waycross, I believe, and the police are investigating, now, on some of the 
the message boards I saw where people said that Philip actually worked in South Georgia at that time. And he was working on the road crew, so he would have had access to concrete. Mm -hmm. And he would have been in the area at that time. And people were kind of putting the blame off on him, like, you know, he probably did something, then he murdered Kimberly later or whatever. I don't know if he was really working on the road crew in South Georgia or not, but it doesn't really matter because the FBI took DNA and they were able to to say it was for sure not Kimberly Boyd. So... Unless you think he's down there just murdering random children, that isn't even logical. Um, this child, by the way, was not ever identified. So, also, if you know anything about that case, come forward. But Philip Boyd did not probably have anything to do with that. It's just one of those things that people get on the internet and they don't think about how they're affecting somebody's life when they're saying these things. This man lost his wife and child, and he has no idea what happened to him. And just assuming for a second that he didn't have anything to do with it, now he's got to read on the Internet that people think he killed his baby and, and stuffed it in a suitcase. Right. I mean, that would just be devastating, I think, in my yeah. opinion. It, it would devastate me, so... It's just one of those things that, you know, maybe when you're putting theories, maybe when you're putting theories out on the internet, you know, just put a little thought into it. Maybe give it a minute and let the FBI check and they're going to check the DNA and compare it to anybody that's on a missing persons that, that matches the description. And so they'll be able to, to rule people out. And some, you know, maybe just give it a minute and get the facts before you get on the internet spewing all your theories about this. Because real people read this stuff. Real people that it affects are going to see this. So, let me get off my soapbox. In any case, that is the last anybody hears about any of this until mm. three years after the disappearance Sarah Boyd's credit card gets used at a local mall. What? Here's the thing. The signature on the receipt was not readable. Right. And it for sure was not her signature. That is 100%. Um, back then the way they did a credit card because there was no internet or anything like that back then um what or the internet would have been new back then i guess in any case what they would do is they had this little machine and they laid your card on it and then they they run a thing over and it pressed down on carbon paper and would make a carbon paper copy of the receipt and then you would sign that, and then, I mean, not of the receipt, I apologize. It made a carbon paper copy of the credit card. So they would have your whole imprint of your credit card right, on the receipt. So all the numbers, your name, all of that, your expiration date, all of that, the, the store would just have on this receipt. And then they would keep a copy, and they would give you a copy. They would send a copy to the credit card company to get their money. 
Yeah. What I'm getting at is this process wasn't fast. Mm-hmm. So they would gather up a batch of receipts, um, depending on how busy they were. Could be a couple days, could be a week, could be a month of these receipts. They would gather them up and then they would take them or send them to the credit card company to get reimbursed for the money. At this point, the credit card company would go buy the receipts and they would manually have to enter everything and um, take it off your account. It would have taken probably at least a month or more before anybody realized that Sarah's card got used. Right. So this was not a thing where they scanned the card and then immediately it was like, that's a bad card. And then they contacted the police and then the police rushed to the store and interviewed. This is a matter of this card got, got, it was like a clunk clunk. Yeah. It wasn't a scan, it was like a clunk clunk on this machine. And then probably a month later, the police were were alerted that this card was used. Right. Did it ever say what the card was used for? No, just that it was used at a local mall. So my assumption was closed. But they interviewed the clerk. Um, they didn't have any information. They did not have videotape, um, surveillance tape, or anything like that. The signature, like I said, wasn't legible. And basically, there were no answers there. Even though this was the only clue they really had after they found the car, it led to nothing. There was nothing there. The clerk couldn't remember anything. There was no nothing to do. So, after that, the case went cold, and that is literally the last bit of evidence that has ever surfaced. Mm. And these women have been missing ever since. The baby's in the background. He's got theories on his (laughs) So, do you have theories? I can't remember what my theories were, but... Versus what your theories were versus the story. Because we did it three times now. (laughs) So, I can't remember what my theories were. Okay, so I'll go over my theories and then you can go off of them. Okay. Okay, so was the car that was following behind them trying to help? Or were they following trying to pass them? Could it have been a road rage incident? Or... Could it have been somebody pretending they wanted to help and then kidnapping them yeah, doing whatever? Yeah. That's plausible theory. Did the women get out of the car and try to walk and go for help and then maybe stumble into a river, fall into some quicksand, get lost in the woods? The reason I don't like that theory is because they have a two-year-old. Nobody's going trekking through the woods with a sleepy two-year-old in the middle of the night. True, and that baby was probably asleep in the back of the car yes. by the time they made that 45-minute ride to where they, the car was found. So, you are correct. It probably would have been a sleepy or um, sleeping two-year-old. It would have been hard to trek them through the woods. 
But I will say that, um, and there is quicksand in South Carolina. So, and we had to learn about it a lot when I was in school. So, I mean, the quicksand could have got them, I reckon. You going to join us for the podcast now? You say I have enough of that nap mess. Okay, you tell us your theories, all right? Okay. Um, another theory would have been that, and this is a popular one online, that their disappearance had to do with the pop farm. Really? That they had stumbled across it. And the people didn't want to get turned in or whatever, so right. they did something. And I do agree that randomly stumbling across somebody's um, drug operation is probably dangerous in general. I just think it's a lot of trouble to go through for people that didn't even get really close. And nobody knew that this pot farm was there until they got in the air. So, they right. couldn't have gotten to the pot farm. Right. So, in, unless they just walking. stumbled through their field somehow and then recognized it as pot and then looked like the type of people that were going to go tattletale. Um, I don't like this theory. I just feel like if you're smart enough to set up that kind of operation with all of these whales and... um. And irrigation lines and 15-foot-tall yeah. plants. Them things been growing for a minute. Yeah. You know, you've been putting the right fertilizer on them. <laughs> They've been getting the right treatment. Mm, what if they are the fertilizer? I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was terrible. Sorry. That was terrible. Sorry. Anyway. Trigger warning. <laughs> in any case, I feel like the people smart enough to run this pot farm are smart enough to realize that if two women and a child go missing close to them, there's going to be a search. And if there's a search, then people are going to get on your property or go over your property, and you may wind up getting caught. Right. So would it not have made more sense if it was them for them to take the car somewhere and just ditch it on the other side of the county in another state or whatever? It would not have made sense for them to leave the car where it was. Right. I don't like this theory because I don't think that, I don't think it has merit, honestly. Yeah, I agree. So, another theory is there was actually a serial killer working in the area at the time. And his name was Eugene Warren. And he was active between 1987 and 1990. And although they were not his usual... (laughs) Bless you, baby. Although they were not his usual victim type, there is such a thing as killers going out of their norm for a crime of... Opportunity. Opportunity. And so, um, even Jeffrey Dahmer was questioned about killing younger children and stuff um, just because he had the opportunity to do it. Right. That is something that is a, a possibility. I don't know how likely it is. 
Another theory that's been floated was that one of the husbands, or I guess both of the husbands, could have had something to do with the disappearance. I don't like that theory as much either because, you know, this guy has to kill... Okay, let's say it's the one, the guy with the one wife. Linda McCord says it. He's got to kill somebody else's wife and the kid. Right. It seems like a lot of trouble, and vice versa. And and you'd have to be pretty cold-blooded to kill a two-year-old. Yes. That hasn't done anything to you just For to sure. get rid of your wife. It's, it I mean, doesn't I know seem plausible. Do it. it seems like it would be... A lot of work, and you would have a better opportunity at a right. different point, If you, you know? were, I mean, because there's no way you did not have an opportunity to get rid of your wife while she was alone. Right. And it would have been a lot easier to, to do something to your wife while she was alone than to have to disappear three people versus one or even two. Yeah. The only way that theory makes sense is if the husbands were working together, but I still don't know that it makes that much sense. Because I don't think it makes sense, yeah. Why would... I don't know what the benefit would be. And then you've got to trust this other guy's going to keep his mouth shut. How well do you know him that he's going to keep his mouth shut? And people commit crimes together, and then one of them's like, oh, this is what we did. And then everybody goes to jail. I mean, those people go to jail, too. It's not like them not wanting to go to jail is enough to keep them quiet, because that happens. And it's also not likely that they would have a big insurance policy, because, I mean, you would hear about it. I'm sure. True. That's that's probably You would hear about, like, if they collected a big insurance policy. But would the insurance policy even paid without the um, bodies, I wonder? I don't think so. So, I don't, I don't, I don't like that theory. I don't think the husbands, either one, had anything to do with it. And I don't think you can judge Linda McCord's husband for not coming to, to those searches, um, he may not have been getting along with the family by then. Right. He may have just been wore out mentally and physically. He may have been joining other searches. He I might mean, have been upset because people kept blaming him also. And so he was like, you know what? It's not worth it to go out and look when people are just going to turn it into something bad, you know? Yeah. And for what it's worth, um, Philip Boyd gave an interview, I think it was 20 years after his wife and daughter went missing, and he did a newspaper interview where he talked about his daughter and how much, how she was a daddy's girl and how much she meant to him and um, how much he missed her even 20 years later. So, I, I just don't feel like he had anything to do right. with it. Um, the last theory, and I, I hate it, but it is a possibility, is that it was a hate crime, a racially motivated crime. Yeah. That they ran across somebody that just was motivated by hate and did something to them. Yeah. And, you know, you like to pretend that this doesn't exist, and I do think it was... 
probably more prevalence in the 80s, mm-hmm. but um, I, I tell you, it's going on today, and I know people say it all the time, and, and I think you'd get numb to it, but I mean, just the other day, somebody said something about a restaurant in Georgia, and I was like, that cannot be true. And I looked it up, and I'm not going to mention what it is because I don't want to give them any kind of traffic to their website or whatever. But I looked it up, and it was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And I was like, I could not imagine going in because I like to go in off-the-wall restaurants, just out-of-the-way restaurants and you know just mom and pop places and try it out and i tell you if they'd have brought me the menu that i looked up and saw for their restaurant i don't even know i i, I definitely would not have eat there but i honest to god don't know what i'd have done what was on the menu girl this menu let me try to see it as tactfully as possible. It honestly bothered. It really, I'm tearing up. It bothered me. Yeah. That that this is out there and that people know about it. And, and like, they're just like, and people are eating there. It is on the front cover of their menu is a man dressed in a Klan uniform. Mm-hmm. And there are, there's no tactful way to say it. So I'm just going to say it. Um, there are two black guys that have been lynched, and they have them tied together, and he's using them like a hammock. What? I'm, I'm not playing with you. I was like, that's what somebody said, and I was like, there's no way that this place is open and exists. And I looked it up, and they didn't mention the menu. They mentioned something else. But I looked it up, and I was like, are you joking me with this? Oh like, how God. is this out there in in 2022? How is this out there? And they are, they are, to my knowledge, still open and still using those menus. And, and that wasn't the only thing. It was just, it, I, it was like a slap in the face when I saw it. Like, oh, my God. I'm so speechless. I'm, it was like, that's how I was when I saw it. I, it was like a slap in my face. Yeah. And I'm like, I could not imagine if you were of a minority and went in there and they hand you this menu. Like, do they even let you in? Or they like, I no. doubt they would even let I them in. I don't know. I don't know. I was so stunned. I was so stunned. Now, it's got me all flustered. It's got me off track, but. I, I could not, I, I just was like, what? This cannot be real, but it is 100% real, and to my knowledge, they are still open and operating, and it, it's ridiculous to me. So, the hate is out there. It's still there now, and I'm sure it was there in the 80s. And so it is a, a possibility, even though it's one we don't want to face. But I don't know. We, I hope that someday these families get answers because I cannot imagine what it would be like to lose these people 
especially a wife and a child, and not even have a clue as to what happened to them. Not a drop of blood, not a shoe on the road, not a clue what happened to them. And you've got to go through your life like that. And, you know, this was 1987, so it, it was a while back. A lot of these people, if, if they haven't already come to the end of their lives, they're getting there. And these people are dying with no idea what happened to their family member. And somebody knows something. Somebody saw something. Somebody saw something and may not even realize they saw it. So, if you were in the area, if you know anything, you can call the Dorchester County Police and they will, they, they have this file open. They are ready for any kind of clue as to where to search for these women or to search for whoever did something to these women. So, if you know anything, if you saw anything, if you saw anything about anything, let somebody know, even if you don't think it's a big deal, maybe it is. So, that's all we have for this week, and I hope you've enjoyed the episode. If you have, please tell your neighbor, because we need people to like, rate, and review us so that we can get some traffic to our podcast. And, and please listen consistently. And Madeline really wants y'all to listen consistently. So she doesn't want y'all loading it up and then coming back to listen to three episodes at once because that bothers her. No, it doesn't bother me because I do that this I do that too, but I mean it to see our ratings go from like what it was the first episode, then you're like, oh less people watch me the second episode. And then it dwindles from there, and you're just like, who's not watching? Uh, I know who's not watching. Noah's not watching. Listening, but, yeah, yeah. Noah didn't listen. Noah's not listening consistently. I know that Billy listened. I blame Zane for not listening. <laughs> That's who I think it is, it's Zane. But, uh... Listen, we got an audience that we can look at y'all on our Facebook group and we can start calling y'all out <laughs> and saying we don't think y'all are listening. So y'all need to be listening. For I know sure. that Billy listened because um, he was talking about the Whistler episode. The whistle caught him off guard and it scared the life out of him. He was listening to it right before he went to sleep. <laughs> so, I guess he had his earbuds in, and he was just about to drift off, and the whistle come out of left field, he thought. I thought that we were talking about it. So yeah. It well, the reason I put the whistle there is because when we did that story, I was listening, and I didn't know... I did okay. I figured a wolf whistle was a different whistle. It's the cat call whistle. Right. That's how I know it. And so, you know, I thought it would be a decent thing to put in there later looking it up because right. I mean, I didn't know what it was. And I probably should have explained that in the episode, but I guess I tend to to forget that younger people know stuff is something different. 
Right. And so I didn't think about it. So I thought it was good you put it in, but he was like, y'all haven't had um, sound effects before, and it caught me off guard. <laughs> so it apparently scared the life out of him. <laughs> And then he was like, it was too loud. And so then he made me listen because I was guilty of not listening. <laughs> okay, I'm guilty not too. I don't listen to ours because I edit them too. So I've, I've listened to these episodes like four or five times trying to edit them. Okay, so I do listen, but I had not listened yet. And um, he was like, you need to listen, you need to listen. So he put it on in the truck when we was going somewhere. And he was like, the first whistle, it was loud. It was scary. <laughs> and then it come on in the truck, and I was like, it was pretty much on volume with the rest of it. And he's like, I swear, she must have gone back and edited it. And I <laughs> no. was like, she can't have edited it because you downloaded it. She can't go into your phone yeah. and edit your download. It's on your phone. And um, so he was like, I swear it was louder when I heard it. Might have been because I was drifting off. But in any case, it scared him. So that was something. Yeah, I mean, that's But funny. I know for sure he listened because it scared the fool out of me. But I really enjoyed that episode. That one was... Uh, that was a good episode. Yeah, I really enjoyed it's it. It's one of our better it was, episodes. Uh, it was one of my favorite stories we've told so far. Probably because it wasn't doom and gloom, but... I know you think Herbert did it. I I I don't know if I think Herbert did it or not. Herbert did it. I mean, she might have been involved too, but Herbert definitely it was him. I think it might have just been some random stalker that but you, had the hot You her. ain't never seen Herbert and the whistler in the same room at the same time. <laughs> That's true, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, do you have anything else? Um, I think we should give our ghost his minute. Like, oh, like I almost said, we forgot. I apologize. Okay. So please, um, please, uh, everybody, shut up, and we will listen to what the ghost has to say. Yes. If you have any questions or comments, Mister Ghost, now is your time. We'll give you a minute. To everybody else, y'all have a good week, and we'll see you on the next episode. Stuff. All right, cool. If you'd like to know more about the case we discussed or to see our sources, please visit our website at unsolvedsouthpodca.wixsite.com. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at unsolved underscore south and join our Facebook discussion group where we invite you to share your thoughts, your theories, and to ask questions. If you have any story suggestions, please email us at unsolvedsouthpodcast at gmail.com. We will see you back here every other week for another episode. I'm so excited. <laughs>